0: Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. And those of you that are regular listeners know how much I love bringing on people who are really committed to their own development, as well as the growth and development of the people on their team or in their world. And today I have a very unique guest because he not only is committed to his development, He hunts for it, (laughs) and you'll understand the reason for that term in just a moment. I want to welcome Sterling Hawkins.
1: Meredith, thanks for having me on. I'm excited for our conversation.
0: I am too, and I must thank our good friend and colleague, Laban Ditchburn, for introducing us and, you know, the thing about Laban, I think he knows me so well. He knows people I will click with. And you and I just had instant friendship in our very first conversation that yeah. I think is going to be a lifetime kind of friendship. So I'm I'm grateful to have you both in my world. And before Likewise. we jump into the conversation, let me introduce you to my audience and tell them why I use the word that I did. Mm. Sterling is out to break. The status quo. From a multi-billion dollar startup to collapse and coming back to launch, invest in, and grow over 50 companies, Sterling takes that experience to work with companies around the world. Today, he serves as CEO and founder of the Sterling Hawkins Group, a research training and development company focused on unlocking human and organizational potential. He's been seen in publications like Inc., Fast Company, The New York Times, and Forbes. And here's where that word comes in. He recently released his best-selling book called Hunting Discomfort: How to Get Breakthrough Results in Life and Business, No Matter What. And I just love that title. And I read every page of this book. I just loved it. So I'm going to say upfront, Sterling, I would highly recommend everyone buy this book. I've read lots and lots of personal development book. This one stands in a class of its own. So thank wow, you for thank that you. gift to the world. Thank you. with your book it means a
1: lot to me, especially coming from you, the expert in the space. <laughs> <laughs>
0: thank you. Well, one last thing I want to add is Sterling is based in Colorado and partly because he has three precious nieces that he loves spending time with and <laughs> other family members too. He's also a passionate adventurer who can often be found skydiving, climbing mountains, shark diving or even trekking in the Sahara. So this is a man who is, you know, oh. pursuing adventure in all kinds of ways, physical, mental, emotional. And Sterling, you've had some experiences that would have brought others to their knees and brought
1: me, me to my them, knees.
0: Yeah, and and left them there though. You you back up. And so I'd love for you to start out by just talking a little bit about your journey and how it brought you to the work you're doing today.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, I grew up a fifth generation retailer in my family's grocery store and spent a lot of time there passing out cookies as a kid and working in all the departments. And right out of college, really uh, my senior year, I got together with my dad and we decided to start a retail technology company together. And I'd love to tell you, like, we were super smart. We had the whole thing planned out and our whole strategy. And we did do some of those things. Uh, But we ended up selling it to a group in Silicon Valley and certainly got a little bit lucky when it became the Apple Pay before Apple Pay. And just for a little context for you, Meredith, and the listeners, it was a little fingerprint sensor set next to the credit card terminal. And you put your finger down and your credit cards came up, loyalty cards, just like Apple Pay, only no phone. And this is early 2000s. So customers would look at this, investors would look at this, and we grew really, really fast. We raised over 550 million US dollars, multi-billion dollar valuation, 700 employees, offices all over the world. And have you seen that movie, Wolf of Wall Street?
0: I didn't see that. Oh,
1: well, right. For those people that have seen it you, or- I think most people know something about it. It was like a scene out of that movie. It was just crazy. And I felt like I was in this rocket ship of success and I had my whole life figured out. I'm ready to go public, cash in and crown myself the next Steve Jobs. At least until the housing market started to collapse and we couldn't raise any additional funding, at least on terms that our leadership and the investors were okay with. And it started a very dramatic, somewhat long bankruptcy, all half a billion dollars gone. Now, many of the people that I worked with there, the other leadership, they went on to start new companies, do new things. But what I found, at least in retrospect, is that my identity was so caught up in that company, who I thought I was, who my friends were, what success looked like, like I defined it by that company and what we were doing there, that when the company crashed, so did I. And you know this story from the book, Meredith, but I end up playing out this sad country song of a story where I go from this big, beautiful penthouse in downtown San Francisco to my parents' house, six figures in debt. Even my girlfriend breaks up with me. Like I was hitting every single beat in this song. And it really led to some of the darkest times in my life where I started looking at this thing saying, What went wrong? Why? And originally, it was just to dig myself out of the hole. And it turns out what worked for me works for everybody as an individual or as an organization.
0: It's fascinating. And there are so many important points from your book. We could talk for two hours, but I'm going to zero in on, I think, the key phrases, words, um, principles that you talk about. And then I'm going to ask everybody, go get your copy. (laughs) But the first one is this 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 sentence that you actually wrote when you you know wrote your inscription in the book for me, the way out is always through. And mm. I, I'd love for you to share who you learned that from and what that means to you. Why is that sort of like your mantra?
1: Yeah, so it was something my mom used to say when I was a kid. It's actually a Robert Frost quote, but to me, like whenever I hear the phrase, it's my mom's voice saying it. And it came back to me probably because I was living at uh, her house. And I thought, you know, I, I'm down and out. I'm all hepped up on anxiety medication, anti medication. And this idea of the way out being through, I was like, what do I have to lose? I'm going to put this thing to the test. So I set those medications aside and started going after the things that scared me most, that I was embarrassed about, that I was intimidated by. Because what that phrase means to me is you go through those things and what you're looking for is on the other side. And originally it was a kind of a proof of concept, a test, like, does this really work? And it turns out it does. And it has this incredible uh, almost network effect where, you know, that saying misery loves company.
0: Mm -hmm. Well,
1: hunting discomfort, going through things that scare you or you're intimidated by, well, that kind of thing loves company too. And so all of a sudden it starts becoming, well, for me, people around me started doing those things. It happens inside of companies, it happens for families. You know, when you start this momentum, the way out is through. And we get to share that with other people on our own journey.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, tell uh, the quick version of your story of speaking in Singapore, because that was one oh. of the, <laughs> the moments, right?
1: Yeah, that that was the scariest thing in the world to me. I'm one of the many that would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. Like speaking in public was terrifying. And uh, briefly, I, I get basically junk mail for this conference in Singapore, inviting me to be a guest. I hit reply. I said, why don't you have me speak? And long story short, I end up talking with the conference director. We get on the phone. I talk him into not just being a speaker at their conference but the keynote speaker of their conference. And it wasn't until they sent me the agreement where I had this thought, you've got this huge failure on your resume. You don't know what you're going to say. And you're terrified to do it. Like, What are you doing? This is insane. And so I did what I recommend everybody do when you're confronting that discomfort like that, which is you commit in a way where there's no going back. I call it get a tattoo. So I signed the agreement. I sent it back. And thus commenced several months practicing my sister i recruited right out of college she helped me um i go over there i give the presentation still terrified by the way i get on stage and it's a good thing i practice because i think i blacked out i don't remember giving the talk and i get off the stage conference director is making a beeline for me i'm kind of covering my eyes trying to get out of there because i'm I'm convinced like I bombed and I'm ready to you know, chalk up another failure to my name. And he looks me in the eyes and he says, Sterling, that's the best talk I've seen in my 17 years or something of doing this job. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, to this day, I'm convinced he must have been in somebody else's talk. Like there's no way that he saw mine. But what he did was he put me in touch with all of his conference director friends. And all of a sudden I had the, at least the beginnings of the career that I have today on my hands. The way out is through.
0: It's such a fabulous story. And I would really like to encourage all of my listeners to think about one thing that you've been afraid of doing. You've held back. And as we have this conversation about the five practices that are um, in Sterling's book, I would love for you to be thinking about which one of those tends to hold you back. And Sterling, I also want to talk about this hashtag, no matter what, that's Mm. behind you on the screen. Most folks will be listening, but it's also, you know, one of the uh, words in your subtitle, how to get breakthrough results in life and business, no matter what. So why is that phrase so important to you?
1: Yeah, well, it started out just as a personal mantra, you know, that first night at my parents' house, I'll never forget, you know, I've lost everything and all this debt. I've got boxes around and suitcases. I'm looking at the ceiling. And frankly, I didn't know if I could, or even if I wanted to go on. And I made this commitment to myself. I said, I I don't know how, and I don't know what exactly, but I'm going to make some impact with my life, no matter what. And I used it really just to get out of bed in the morning. Like I'm going to get up when my alarm goes off tomorrow, no matter what. I'm going to go to the gym, no matter what. I'm going to call the uh, creditors that I have, no matter what. Like I'm going to do these things regardless of the circumstances. And then when the time came, I'm going to speak on that stage in Singapore, no matter what. And so you can think about it, like if the way out is through, well, great. But we need to be willing and committed to go through no matter what, because it's going to get hard. It's going to get scary. Everything in your mind is going to tell you, don't stop. It's dangerous. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, you're, you're better off where you were anyways. And it really takes that commitment and the support of those around you to do it. Mm-hmm. And so no matter what has become, you know, it started as my mantra, something that we've, you uh, shared and has been adopted by people around the world, really committing to go through uh, whatever it is they need to go through to create breakthrough results for themselves, their community, their family or their company.
0: Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about your, no matter what community later right now, I think it'd be great if we could uh, get you to talk about what are those five principles in your book and, combine that with describing the behavior that are the five practices really. And and what's the behavior that's causing the problem that requires us to apply that practice?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, I think upfront, it's most important to understand what I mean by hunting discomfort. And I'm not suggesting anybody live an uncomfortable life. And I'm not wishing discomfort on anybody. One of the things that I think I hear most from people is, Sterling, look at my bank account, look at my relationships, look at my business. Like I don't need to hunt discomfort. I'm surrounded by it. And my answer is always the same, which is you're not hunting discomfort. You're living with it. And you're probably rationalizing why you have it. When you hunt discomfort, you are permanently and forever free of it. It's no longer holding you back. And the first discomfort that we all need to address is the discomfort of facing reality, reality exactly as things are and exactly as they're not, no matter how much you might not like facing those things. You know, it's letting go of uh, beliefs, values about one of three things yourself, others, or the world and how the world operates to see things in a new light. And when you shift how you see things, well, all of a sudden everything else changes. How you act is going to change and new results aren't produced by, you know, white knuckling some kind of uh, huge amount of determination, but they start to arise because how you're looking at all of those things has changed. So Mm. discomfort isn't something to be avoided. It's actually kind of a neon sign saying right here's an opportunity to reevaluate those beliefs and shift them into something that's going to give you better results. So that's the the first step. Uh, The second piece is uh, the second discomfort, I should say, is self-doubt, something I suffered a lot of, especially going into that talk in Singapore. And I think we all have it in some shape or form, right? That voice in our head that's saying, don't stop, go back, it's dangerous. That's self-doubt. And it is useful in a way that it's telling you what's important to you, but it's not helpful when it holds you back. And when we take the second step in the no matter what system of getting a tattoo, right, making that commitment where there's no going back, it's something that's going to call us through that discomfort. So your commitments have to be stronger and more solid than whatever discomfort you're moving through. And, you know, we know, I'm sure the listeners that we've got here, Meredith, know that this stuff is really, really hard, really hard at a human level. And we need people on our side to help. And oftentimes there's some fear of that because there's the the third discomfort that can hold us back, which is the fear of exposure. Somebody seeing me exactly how I am and maybe with all the inadequacies and imperfections that uh, I carry with me in my life. And the truth is that those people that are really on your side, they want to support you through those things. They want to love you despite those things, or maybe even because of those things, And the third step in the no matter what system is building what I call a street gang. Mm -hmm. And I'm deliberately not saying like drinking buddies or your besties or even like a personal board of directors. I call it a street gang because it needs to have some teeth where people around you are really going to hold you accountable to what you said you wanted to achieve, not to put you down, not to make you look bad, but to help you grow. And the research shows when you have people around you like that. You're not 70, 80, even 90% more likely to achieve your goal. You're 95% more likely to achieve whatever it is you're looking for. Like it, It's it's almost like if you want to achieve those things, you better find somebody around you that's going to support you and go toe-to-toe with you to hold you accountable for it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: With me so far, I'm talking a lot, Meredith.
0: Oh, that yeah, that's great. Well, I want to dive deeper into them. I will say this. One of the reasons yeah. I loved your book is because the way you organized these chapters and these five mm. practices, because you position the issue, if you will, first, and then yeah. your follow on chapter that's partnered with that is the practice and what that looks yeah. like. And it was very powerful and And one of the things, you know, that to me is a standout with the book is when I can really remember the structure and remember the elements and the way you put this together. And it's very well written, too. You've got all kinds of not just stories, but you cite research in a very interesting way. It's not dry Mm. in any way. It's quite compelling. And so it's it's very memorable the way you've, you've structured those. And I like the way you're describing them now, because one seems to build on the other and yet they're all interrelated too. Exactly. Go on to number four.
1: Yeah, they, they are discrete steps and they really do work together as well. Um, and I do owe a lot of credit to my publisher, Wonderwell Publishing out of Los Angeles for helping me put the whole thing together and think about it a certain way. They were a tremendous help. And I, I certainly wouldn't have done it, at least how I have done it without them. So um, the fourth step is something that we all confront, which is challenges, problems, obstacles, limits. You know, In the real world that we're operating in, sometimes you just don't have enough money. You don't have enough time. And I get that. I'm not suggesting that you magically, you know, grow a money tree in your backyard. But what I am suggesting is that we can look at those problems, those challenges differently and use them. It's a very stoic philosophy as the pathway forward. How can you use your challenges, the things you're worried about, um, even those kind of proverbial warts that you have, how can you use those things as the pathway forward? And we can jump into some of that, but just to give you the last step to round out the whole system is the, the fifth discomfort. And the one that I think is like the discomfort that rules them all is the discomfort of uncertainty and the unknown. You know, in a very real way, tomorrow isn't promised to any of us at any level. But we live in the relative comfort of tomorrow oftentimes looking a lot like today. And in today's day and age, well, we start to see change a little more than maybe we have with the pandemic and tech disruption and global instability. There's really a universal instability that's making us realize more and more that, yeah, tomorrow is, is not promised and it might not look like today. And what we need to do is the fifth step of the no matter what system, which is to surrender. And when I say that, I don't mean give up and watch Netflix and order pizza, though there's a time and a place for that, right? I'm talking about acceptance at a very human, very emotional level. Uh, Carl Jung, arguably the father of modern psychology today, he said, we cannot change anything until we accept it. Condemnation about not having enough money, enough time, not being the right kind of person, not having the right team members around you, not uh, being the right age or it being the right time. Condemnation about any of those things does not liberate. It oppresses and makes it very hard and maybe even impossible to move forward. So when we come to terms with what is, or better said, surrender what it is, it really frees us to that next level to move forward. And that's the piece that frees you from the discomfort. So you never have to go back.
0: You know, it's it was a challenge for me to think about which one of these would I like to really go into deeply with you. Um, one of the ones that to me is, well, the getting a tattoo and that whole meaning of commitment I think mm-hmm. is so powerful because sometimes we want to dip our toe in the water and just try something, but we don't jump in <laughs> and say, "All right, right, I'm in for this." And i i just would love for you to talk a little bit about, uh, and and maybe using examples of people from your, um, you know, no matter what community or other folks and clients you've you've worked with, what do you yeah. happens? when they are willing to make that commitment and say, no matter what, I'm doing this? Yeah.
1: Well, most of the world, let's call it 99% of the world, lives in this very circumstantial place of I I want, I wish, I could, uh, I'll try, I might, or even I simply can't. And there's 1% of people, and I would invite all of you listening to be in this 1% of people that, that take the next step. And it's a world that we all know, but it takes something to step into. It's those people that are brave enough to gaze into the unknown and courageous enough to kind of stare into that uncertainty of tomorrow and utter this incredibly simple but profound phrase, which is, I will. And when you do that and you say, I will, you make that commitment... Well, first, it might be a little bit uncomfortable, but as we talked about earlier, that's a good sign, right? That's a sign that you're on the right track. But yeah. what it does is it reframes your brain to start looking not for the excuses, but for how you can achieve something because you no longer have a choice. Mm-hmm. There's, um, it's called the reticular activation system in your brain, and it's, uh, kind of a bouncer for your mind, where it's telling your conscious mind of all the things we're processing in the the unconscious, of all the things around us, here's what's important. It's why, by the way, when you buy a new car, you suddenly see that car all around you, or you can pick out your name uh, in a busy and loud conference facility, right? That's the RAS in action. Well, when you make that commitment, all of a sudden you retrain that part of your brain to look for pathways for action, pathways forward. And it's incredibly powerful. Uh, Now a friend of mine, somebody from the no matter what community, his name's Emmanuel. And somewhere mid pandemic, he lost his corporate job and he was living in the suburbs of New York with his brand new wife. And he, he was in this place of like what, what do I do? You know, I've got to support my wife. I'm starting a family, and I lost my job. I've got this expensive place in New uh, in New York. Where do I go? What do I do? And we were just getting acquainted. He had just joined the community, and he went out, Meredith. And I, I talk about the uh, not a literal tattoo, but he goes out and he gets a tattoo of the company he wants to start. I think it's on his right bicep. I don't know how he explained that to his wife when he got home. Like it was a spur of the moment decision. He's like, I'm not only going to get a tattoo in my commitment, but I'm literally going to get a tattoo. And I would talk to him on a pretty regular basis. And he would tell me, you know, he's watching his bank account dwindle and his wife's upset at him and he's not sure what to do. And this guy, and I'm I'm going to summarize, you know, probably a year, year and a half worth of action that was really hard. And everything in him was telling him, get a job, go somewhere else. You know, if you have to um, take minimum wage, like just do something. But he stuck with his commitment and he's since moved himself down to Austin, Texas and the business he started, it's called Left Spire is now an eight-figure business. He just texted me a couple of weeks ago. I don't even think that's in the book. An eight-figure business. So he goes from losing his job, dwindling savings. He makes this commitment and all of a sudden these new pathways for action open up and he's got today an incredibly successful company and by the way, a very happy wife.
0: That's great. Yeah, that whole thing of, of really making a commitment and and not allowing other people, other circumstances to take you off track. It's amazing. And that's where to me that, that third one with the building a street gang, because I had written yeah. down this one tool alone will take your results to the next level. So explain yeah. why that's true as it relates to the other components there. Yeah, well,
1: you know, Commitments that we make, we really need support in those things. And it's really a fallacy that you can do anything by yourself. I mean, just us having this conversation, you know, the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that have created Zoom and the cameras and the cell connections, the internet service, the running water, right? Like we really are dependent on everybody around us. All of us are, save for the few people that are living off the grid and in the woods, right? So we need people around us to help. And what happens, I see a lot of times with uh, even successful entrepreneurs, they're like, well, I'm going to make a commitment to myself. And that's important, but I think it's only good for keeping you at the level that you're at. For example, if you're already pretty reliable that you're going to go out and run or go to the gym five times a week, you don't really need outside accountability for that right? It, it, it's almost going through the motions. Where it really counts is when you make commitments beyond what you already know you can do. That's where it's hard. If you know you can do it already, well, great, make those commitments, but you're not really going to grow from that. The hmm. street gang's important because when we're going through it, right? If the way out is through, when we're in the middle of that, everything in our mind is going to tell us things that aren't necessarily accurate. Things like, well, you, you can't. You shouldn't. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to my career. You're jeopardizing your family, right? Now, your streaking is going to help reorient you to reality. What actually is, like, is it actually dangerous or is it just really, really uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. And are you going to be disappointed if you, you know, maybe back out of this thing and wished you had done it, right? That streaking is going to call you into action and, and hold your commitments higher than any feelings in a particular moment. So you need that street gang, if you're really committed to growth.
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, we won't go into it today. But I liked the way you identified different kinds of people to be in that street gang. I mean, it's not a street. person, And yeah, you need, you know, the one that's going to kick you in the butt, as well as the one that's going to you know, hold your hand, visit figuratively to, to be that supportive, nurturing kind of person. So you need right. that combination of folks. And that was really helpful for me to think about, you know, who plays this role? Where am I missing somebody? Where is there a gap where I would benefit from having this kind of person? So I think that that's worth studying and examining. And also on yeah. the next one where you were talking about, you know, we all encounter challenges and problems. Mm. This idea of the practice being to flip it, right. you know, and and really turn it around. And you give some great examples of different ways to do that. I would love for you to share one or two of those. And then I would also like you to address this very real issue, which is if somebody's dealing with a very serious problem. and they're feeling overwhelmed, you know, the amygdala, the flight and fight kind of part of the brain may want to take over. And it's harder to use that prefrontal cortex for the creative elements that you are recommending there. So after you describe one or two ways to flip it, I would love for you to address how do you help someone who's really struggling with even considering flipping
1: A a particular problem. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, the first piece of Flip It is the somewhat cognitive function of really looking at what is the problem that you're solving for. And it takes stepping back from the immediate circumstances and saying, okay, well, what is the problem? How do I articulate it? What am I actually trying to achieve? And then speculating on, well, how can I achieve that in a totally different, innovative way? Um, It's cliche, but I'll say it anyways, right? It's that outside of the box of how can I get there in a not best practices kind of way, because I look at best practices as like the best anybody's figured out so far, but maybe an entirely new way that nobody's ever thought about, right? And it's hugely Mm -hmm. powerful. And one of my favorite examples from this is um, a now friend of mine. His name's William Hung. And I met him giving a TED Talk several years ago outside San Diego. And maybe you recognize William Hung from his uh, American Idol fame. He's the guy that sang Ricky Martin's She Bangs so poorly that he became an instant internet meme. And he was known all the world where people were laughing at how he sang that song. And... Having the chance to talk to him uh, at the TED Talk, he was saying, Sterling, like, you just don't know what that's like. It's like the entire world, somewhat literally, was laughing at me. And, you know, I was with everybody else. I was watching him like, oh, that's, that's funny. Ha ha. He's not a very good singer. And he goes, at, at like a human level, that really hurt. And he's like, I I basically crawled into a cave and didn't want to see anybody or anything because everybody was laughing at me. And I was like, wow, I... I had not thought about it like that at all. And he said, you know what? It took some courage, but I realized there was power in what I thought was my weakness, right? He's flipping it. He realized that those proverbial warts that he had, the fact that everybody was laughing at him, there was a pathway forward to capitalize on those things for his growth and his success thereafter. And so what he did is he started going out and saying, yeah, I'm that guy. I'm the guy that sang that song like that. You know me from American Idol. And all of a sudden he started booking um, places to sing all around the world where people are paying him money to hear him sing that song. And it even escalated to a level where he got to sing with Ricky Martin on stage, right? Like he took that problem, that thing that he thought was unsolvable, that the whole world was laughing at him. And he used it to create success. He's even got a record he's released now. So, you know, I, I look at that as something for all of us to say, you know, if he did that with the level of pain that he went through, like, what can we do? Because chances are the whole world's probably not laughing at you. Now, to your point, Meredith, earlier, these pieces, the no matter what system really does work together. And if you're super triggered, you know, like maybe William was at that moment and you're scared and you're nervous or the embarrassment or whatever it is. And trust me, I've, I've been there a whole lot of times, especially after that huge failure early in my career, it takes stepping into that fifth step and starting to come to terms with some of those things. What actually is, how can you accept some of those things? And I find some practices that have been helpful for me and for many are things like meditation. Uh, maybe spending some time in the wilderness, maybe spending time with people that really light you up and love you and reconnect you to what really matters. And when you do that, you kind of summon some of those things, that peace and happiness that's around you. You just have to reconnect with it. It starts to transform whatever discomfort is in your way. Mm -hmm. Um, Paul Tillich, the German-American theologian and philosopher, says there's two things that humans are concerned about. The first, many of us only spend our time on, are, are finite, right? I need to achieve these things. I need to open up these many locations. I have to make this much money. I have to make this many calls. And trust me, we need to do those things. And we need to commit to those things no matter what. But the second thing he says that is important that really we should all be much more concerned with are infinite concerns, things that no matter what happens in the world, somewhat ironically, can never be taken away from us. Things like love, joy, peace, and happiness. And like I'm saying, when when you connect with those things, when you call on those things in the moments of discomfort, it transforms anything standing in your way and it grounds you in where you are and who you are to be able to take some uh, smarter steps, calmer steps, more peaceful steps forward.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, that surrender yes. chapter just spoke to me in so many ways. Mm. Uh, this whole idea of not trying to force or fight, you know, but looking yeah. what it, what is that I'm dealing with and and actually celebrating that. But you know, one yeah. of my favorite sentences in there, And I'll tell you why in a minute. But it was part of surrender is learning to take all our mistakes a lot less seriously. That to me is so huge. And it ties in with my earlier question of somebody feeling overwhelmed by whatever their their problem is. We take ourselves and situations so seriously. And I speak personally from that.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. me too. Yeah.
0: This idea of uh, lighten up. You know, one of my coaches one time told me that I was telling him about this, this different things and was waiting for him to give me some kind of aha. Right. Insight. Yeah. He goes, you know, Meredith, the the thread that I'm hearing there is um, you really take things seriously. (laughs) 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 But as we talked about it and I looked at how could I be more playful? How could I play bigger instead of play small as another example? Just looking at that word play, it's amazing how different that feels when you when you look at that. So I'm curious. You said you have taken yourself too seriously, too, or situations too seriously. Certainly. Um, But I'm curious, too, to know what about when we think of something that, you know, has happened that impacts other people? And we don't want to be lighthearted about that. But what's the balance there between surrendering to what is and then looking at what can we do here about this impact that's a negative impact? Maybe that's that's happened with people.
1: Yeah, well, I think it comes down to uh, it it can be fun and we can be more lighthearted about things. But you're right. Sometimes there's really serious things that have a, a much greater impact. And what I would say to that is there's a surrendering to uh, forgiving yourself for it. And, you know, I can speak to this personally because I felt like that company collapsing was in a large part my fault. So all of a sudden, you know, it's my fault that all of these people are out of work, that all these people lost money. And I made myself very bad, very wrong about it, so much so that I couldn't do anything. It's not just fight or flight with the amygdala. It's freeze. And I froze. Mm. And I just found myself going through the motions where like on the surface, I was saying, oh, yeah, everything's fine. You know, I'm figuring things out. And underneath, my whole life is falling apart. Right. I'm going into debt. I'm going out to fancy dinners that I can't really afford for a while. My millionaire friends are like, oh, come on these trips. And I did for a little bit. Until I literally didn't have any money and I told them I was busy. And uh, I found this, I didn't know this at the time, but there's a Norwegian study that found when you don't handle discomfort uh, effectively, I call them the discomfort defaults of avoiding, denying, surviving. And I would put in that bucket of things, uh, making yourself really wrong because you've made this negative impact for yourself and others. When you handle discomfort like that, it leaves you unable, not unwilling, unable to act in accordance with the knowledge that you already have. Now, I watched my bank account dwindle. I knew I needed a job. I knew I needed help. But because I wasn't accepting that, because I wasn't surrendering to it, because I wasn't forgiving myself for the mistakes that I made. I wasn't able to do it. I couldn't pick up the phone and call even my closest friends and say, I need help. So it's that forgiveness piece that I think frees you to take steps forward to uh, not only help yourself, but to more positively impact people in the future instead of freezing exactly where you are with whatever those negative consequences are.
0: Mm. Very powerful. powerful. There's so much more Sterling, but looking at time, is there anything we haven't talked about that as we've talked of certain things, something else popped yeah. in your head, and you'd love to share that with my audience.
1: Yeah. So, so this is really important. Um, we've all felt physical discomfort. Like you you stub your toe or emotional discomfort, like maybe you lost a job or a big deal or broke up with a loved one. Turns out physical, mental, emotional, the brain and the body process that discomfort identically, almost identically, so much so you can take a acetaminophen for emotional pain. Research is at a University of Michigan. And all the disclaimers about that, by the way, I'm not a doctor. That's not a biohack. I don't suggest you do that. But what I do suggest, and really what we've been talking about here today is taking that next step, which is if where you meet discomfort is the same anywhere, we can grow our capacity to deal with it. Everywhere. It's a muscle you can build. You know, everybody knows you go to the gym to build your biceps. Well, if you want to build your resiliency, your growth, your breakthrough results, or maybe just uh, more joy and happiness, you hunt discomfort no matter what form it's in. And what's important is not necessarily to throw yourself into the deep end. And if you're scared of speaking, you should speak on some big stage in front of thousands of people. But it is important to take a, a small step. And every time you take one of those steps, you kind of microdose discomfort, you get stronger every time. So you can take bigger and bigger steps. And that is where the breakthrough results come from.
0: That's great. Love that. Wonderful summary. And again, let me just recommend to my listeners, pick up a copy of Hunting Discomfort. You'll be glad you did. You can thank me. (laughs) Thank you. Or Sterling to let us know. And speaking of that, Sterling, please share with my audience how they can connect with you, get a copy of your book, and also learn more of your no matter what community. I think I've got some listeners that will be very interested in that.
1: Certainly. Uh, Well, everything about me and the book you can find at sterlinghawkins.com. And one of the things specifically I'd offer to you there is those five main discomforts that we've talked about today. One of those rises to the top for all of us. We all deal with all of them, but there's one particular one that's in your way. And we created, we called it a hunting discomfort quiz. It doesn't cost anything. It's just 15 questions to go through. That's going to give you two things. One, it's going to tell you which one of those five discomforts is in your way. And just as important, it's going to give you a path forward for what to do about it. So that's there. And you can also learn all about, as you were saying, Meredith, the no matter what community. And these are people from all around the world that have declared visions big and small. You know, could be things like having new children, starting new companies. And it's also small things like I'm going to talk about that thing that uh, has annoyed me with my spouse for years. Right. It doesn't matter what your no matter what is but you can not only join that community there, learn from them, hear about them, but be lit up and inspired by all the things that they're accomplishing. Because I realized that this journey that, frankly, I set out on just to dig myself out of the hole has become not about me at all. It's about supporting others to achieve whatever their goals, their dreams, their aspirations are, no matter what's standing in their way. And this is a group that many of them have achieved those things, no matter how seemingly impossible or crazy they are. So I'd welcome um, anybody here listening today to join us.
0: Thank you. Sterling, thank you for the courage and, and the actions you took to get where you are today, to get up off your knees, to stand up tall, and then learn and gain insights and organize them in a way that can benefit really millions of people. And I just want to acknowledge you for the great contribution that you've made through your book and through your work, you're speaking everything you're doing to really light up the world and light up people's awareness of what's possible instead of Mm. settling for their comfort zone, but really encourage them to hunt discomfort. So thank you so much are and what you're
1: doing. Thank you. That, that means a lot to me. And there's uh, tens of hundreds of people that have supported me. My street gang, like where I'm at, is really just a product of, of my streaking. And I can't be more grateful for them and for the chance to talk with you here, Meredith. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to GrowStrongLeaders.com and check out our two books. Connect with your team and peer coaching made simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.